0: Tonic, and Kremel Shampoo present the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes, starring Nigel Bruce as Dr. Watson and Tom Conway as Sherlock Holmes. Now it's time for our weekly visit to Sherlock Holmes' famous colleague, our good friend, Dr. Watson. Good evening, Dr. Watson.
1: Good evening, Mr. Barrow. Sit down and make yourself comfortable. I'm glad to see you.
0: It's always good to see you, Dr. Watson. And judging from the confusion of papers on your desk and the open dispatch box, I deduce that you have a story for me.
1: Absolutely correct, Mr. Bell. I can see that your powers of observation are improving through association with me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I've been looking forward eagerly to this story. The, The Adventure of the Submerged Nobleman, I believe you called it. Extremely odd title.
1: But a most accurate one, my dear chap, as you will see. But first, I know that you're anxious for a word with our listeners.
0: Yes, Dr. Watson, I am. I'd like to tell our listeners about a modern trend in hair grooming that's in such great demand today among men who value their appearance. It's called Cremel hair tonic. Cremel keeps hair handsomely groomed from morning until night, just the way you combed it in the morning. This is because Cremel contains a special combination of hair grooming ingredients which is found in no other hair tonic. This wonderful, natural-looking hairdressing has just enough light oil to keep hair perfectly groomed with an attractive, healthy-looking luster. Yet Kreml never leaves the hair looking or feeling greasy or sticky. Kremel always looks and feels so clean on both hair and scalp. A nationwide favorite among America's top flight executives and most successful men. Be sure to try it. K-R-E-M-L, Kremel hair tonic. Now, Dr. Watson, you have my complete attention for the adventure of the submerged nobleman. The floor is yours.
1: Well, that strange affair took place many years ago. Holmes and I had been spending several days at the seaside resort of Brighton late in July, but not for pleasure, as you might think. We had been concerning ourselves with a most peculiar crime, and only that morning had successfully concluded the affair of the politician, the lighthouse, and the train cormorant. With a few hours to waste before returning to Baker Street, I persuaded Holmes to join me, much against his will, for a stroll along the front by the sea.
2: You, you must
1: admit, Holmes, that the first sea breezes are most delightful after the way that we've been cooped up these, these last few days. I'd find them more so, Watson, if they were not quite so heavily laden with the odors of cheap peppermint and the sound of even cheaper music. Oh, come, come, my dear fellow. England's playground, you know. Well, that's
3: all very well, Watson, but I do wish the members of the younger generation wouldn't select my feet to play on. Uh, look over there, Holmes.
1: Down on that pier. Sailing boots for hire. Oh, well, we've several hours... I'll wager that I haven't forgotten my boyhood skill with a small boat. What about it? Well, at least the sea has the advantage of being comparatively uncrowded.
3: Lead on, Watson. I must congratulate you, Watson, on your skillful handling of our craft. You reveal a talent I didn't know you possessed.
1: I haven't done it for years. I don't seem to have lost the knack, though, do I? How far are we from shore? About two miles, I should say. Wind's rising too. I think we'd better put about. Now, okay, watch your head, Holmes.
3: I say, Watson, that boat over there, a few hundred yards off, isn't it behaving rather oddly?
1: It certainly is. There's probably some weekend trippers who never sailed a boat before. The silly fools don't look out, they're... they're
3: signaling us. See that woman waving? She looks frantic. She's pointing a stern. Hold oh, hat, right
1: Holmes. We run up to them in this pack, but I'm afraid it'll be wet going. There are two women, Watson. One of them standing up. Silly fool, she's liable to have the boat over if she isn't careful. She's shouting something. Can you make it out?
3: I caught the word Drowning! <laughs> Look there, Watson, to the left. Something or
1: someone in the water. I see him, I see him. I'll come up into the wind as we reach him. So get ready, home. A little more this way. There. I've got him. Give me your hand here, Watson. Roger.
2: Right, uh, drag
1: him in. Oh, yes. careful. You yes. You're here in.
2: Is he all right. You're right.
1: Well, we
3: better take him in Co home. I'm afraid there's nothing we can do for this poor fellow, Watson. There's not even the faintest sign of
1: a pulse.
2: Stand still. we'll be with you in a minute.
1: Holmes, we'd better take the two ladies aboard with us. Catch hold as we come alongside.
2: My husband! Is it... Is he on? Right? your
3: hand. That's right. I'm afraid it's hopeless, Holmes. <laughs> by the time we reached your husband, it was all over. Oh,
2: I... There,
4: there, my dear. You must
1: control yourself. <laughs> it's the Lord's will. Really. I've got their boat secured, Holmes. I'll head straight to shore.
2: Uh, God, if <laughs> I hadn't insisted on going Nothing to reproach
4: yourself with, my dear.
2: Um,
4: may I suggest, gentlemen, that you steer for that strip of sandy beach beyond the headland there, where you see the large white house just above? That's Lord Hollis' house. All
1: well, right, you are. We'll be there in a few minutes with this following wind. Uh, thank
4: you. Uh, the gentleman whom you attempted to rescue was Lord Hollis. Uh, this is his wife, La- Lady Diana. And I'm her companion, Miss Miss, Thank you for
3: coming, Clara. Not at all. I'm only sorry we were not in time to save Lord Hollis's life. This is Dr. Watson, and my name is Sherlock Holmes.
4: Uh, she's fainted for a child. But after what's happened, no wonder. <laughs>
1: be all right now, Miss Cartwright. I stayed with the poor girl until the sleeping draught took effect.
4: Now, thank you so much, Dr. Watson. Uh, may I offer you some tea? I feel there is nothing so invigorating as a good cup of tea. Uh,
3: no, no, thank you. While you were upstairs, Watson, I sent a servant to fetch Dr. Miller, Lord Hollis's physician. Fortunately, he's also the coroner for this district.
4: I'm sorry that you gentlemen are leaving for London this afternoon. I know that Lady Diana would want to extend her deepest thanks to you, uh, as soon as she's recovered from this awful shock.
3: Miss Cartwright has been giving me the details which led up to the tragedy, Watson. She is fully familiar with all the circumstances since she was Lady Diana's governess as a little girl and has remained with her as a companion ever since her marriage to the late Lord Hollis.
4: As I have often heard of Mr. Sherlock Holmes, Dr. Watson, uh, perhaps I have confided in him more freely than I should have. But I know that what I tell you both will go no further. Oh, of no, course, no, 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 no. Lord Hollis, I regret to say... Drank to excess. He was, as you no doubt noticed, a very fleshy and corpulent man. And Dr. Miller had often warned him against his indulgence in food and spirits. This morning he drank almost a full bottle of brandy. Oh, really, really? After which he insisted on going sailing. Both Lady Diana and I did our utmost to dissuade him, but when his mind was made up, it was impossible to argue with mm, him. Quite so, quite he quite. was utterly incapable of handling a boat in his condition. So uh, Lady Diana managed to prevail upon him to let us accompany him. Mm -hmm. The alcohol made him foolhardy and reckless. Uh, She had asked him to turn back several times before we got into such rough water. But the more she pleaded, the more stubborn he became. Uh, Just before we sighted you, he stood up to make some adjustment in the sail. The boat pitched, and he fell overboard. You know what happened
2: next. Uh,
1: Indeed, a tragedy, in Scotland. Well, Holmes, there's nothing more we can do here and our boat's still down on the beach below. We'd better be getting back to it and to Brighton if we're to
3: catch the afternoon train to London. Yes, we should be getting along. Goodbye, Miss Cartwright. I'll walk down the path with you to your boat. Oh, please don't trouble yourself. We'll have no difficulty in finding our way.
4: Goodbye, then. And thank you for all you did.
1: Well, goodbye, Miss Cartwright. Goodbye. Terrible thing, Holmes. A young woman like that, whose whole life blighted by such a tragedy. No doubt. Odd that she should have fainted just when she did. Odd, it seems to me most natural that a woman should faint upon discovering that the husband she loves has been drowned.
3: Now allow me to correct you, Watson. Lady Diana did not faint at the news that her husband was dead. She fainted when she heard my name.
1: Oh, really, Holmes, egotism's all very well, but not when it leads you to suspect everyone of being a criminal.
3: Well, perhaps your strictures are justified, Watson. Well, here we are at the beach, which may offer proof or disproof of my suspicions. Oh, in what way? You will notice that when the four of us came up, with you and I carrying the body, I chose a route across the sand which would leave undisturbed the footprints which Lord and Lady Hollis and Miss Cartwright had made when embarking this morning. Be careful not to tread here, Watson, but examine these prints in the wet sand with close attention.
2: Oh,
1: don't see anything out of the ordinary. There are three sets of them.
3: Precisely. The small ones are Lady Diana's, and those larger prints of a woman's feet are Miss Cartwright's. How do you know which is which? Because I took the trouble to look at the shoes both of the ladies were wearing.
1: And those large imprints from a rubber sole were undoubtedly made by Lord Hollis. I notice that they waver a trifle, which bears out the report of, of his condition. Capital
3: Watson, your observation is indeed to be commended. Oh, thank you very much. But the most important point about these footprints seems to have entirely escaped your eye. Oh, here we go, go again.
1: I don't understand. Well, you can
3: think it over while we're on our way.
1: Back to Brighton, you mean? Yes, to Brighton.
3: Our route to call on Colonel Sheridan. Colonel Sheridan? Why, he's the chief constable of the county, isn't he? Precisely, Watson. Come on, let's be going. Hello.
5: I must admit, Mr.
3: Holmes, that I'm deeply
5: shocked by the suggestion you just made.
3: I can easily understand that, Colonel Sheridan. Nevertheless, I feel it my duty to lay the evidence before you. Flimsy evidence, you must admit, Mr. Holmes. Flimsy, perhaps. But it offers food for thought. Lord Hollis' footprints in the sand were not nearly as deep as those left by his wife and Miss Cartwright. This despite the fact that he was an unusually heavy man. You're right, Holmes, I noticed that. I'm sure you did, Watson. There's no need to be sarcastic. And your conclusion from those footprints, Mr. Holmes? The extreme depth of Lady Diana's and Miss Cartwright's prints admits of only one conclusion, Colonel. What?
5: You mean their feet sank into the sand because they were carrying something heavy? Uh,
3: Not something, Colonel. Someone. Good heavens, Holmes. Lord Hollis's body? Quite.
1: But dash it all, man, we... We saw the man drown.
3: I fear I must correct you, Watson. We saw the man's body floating in the water. We did not see him drown. I fear
5: we would need far more convincing evidence than those footprints. The tide has probably washed away by now, even to consider the necessity for action by the police, Mr. Holmes.
2: I
3: understand your position, Colonel. May I request, however, that Dr. Miller, the coroner, conduct a most thorough post-mortem? Of course. With special attention to any possible bruises on the body any evidence indicating that Lord Hollis might have been struck a blow that rendered him unconscious before he was pushed overboard.
5: I shall instruct Dr. Miller accordingly, Mr. Holmes, but I still can't believe there's anything wrong. I've known Edward Hollis since he was a boy. He was a fine chap, generous, excellent writer to house, although a bit over-fond of the bottle. Yes, Miss Cartwright told us. Oh, Miss Cartwright. That woman gives me the cold shivers. She's got an eye like a basilisk. What about Lady Diana, Colonel? Well, I... I can't say that I know much about her. We called when they were first married, but my wife and her friends didn't seem to feel that she was uh, quite... Uh, you understand?
1: Pretty little thing, I thought.
5: Oh, very, very. don't know where she came from before she married Hollis. I have an idea of what my wife once said. She had a rather checkered past. I know she didn't have a penny to her name before she married.
3: Well, Colonel, we must be on our way. I would appreciate it if you'd mail me a copy of the coroner's findings to 221B, Baker Street. i glad you, Mr. Holmes. But I think, I hope, you will be disappointed. Mr.
1: Holmes, you won't stop lolling in that chair and staring vacantly into space and... Lend me a hand with our pecking. i train leaves in half
3: an hour. Eh? Reason. Oh, all right. I can't help wondering, though.
1: Oh, wondering what? About those footprints. Holmes, you're getting morbid. Either the ladies hit Hollis over the head, there would have been a mark. I could swear there was no such mark on the body.
3: Possibly, but still.
1: And if he was poisoned, the coroner's report will show it.
3: But if he were neither hit over the head nor poisoned...
1: Oh, but how else could a frail little woman like Lady Diana overcome a robust man like her husband? Just wasting your time, Holmes, if you ask me. I didn't. Uh, didn't what? Ask you. Oh, well, oh there you are. Well, that finishes my packing. I only wish I had time for a tub before the train. What did you say? I said I only wish I had time for a tub, bath, before the train. A bit on the salty side since our sail this morning. By Jove, Watson. Thank you. What are you
3: talking about? Yes, it's a possibility. A distinct possibility. Come on, forget that train. You and I are going to pay a visit to Dr. Miller, the coroner. <coughs> But it's fantastic, Mr. Holmes. I've never heard of such a thing. That doesn't mean that it's impossible, Dr. Miller. You are certain that you found no bruises on the body? Absolutely.
1: I stake my professional reputation on that. No traces of poison? None. Oh, it just, just occurred to me, supposing that uh, Lord Hollis's heart had given out, huh? Unfortunately, if your
3: hypothesis, Dr. Watson, Lord Hollis's heart was in extremely sound shape. Oh, no, right. the evidence shows conclusively <laughs> that it was death by drowning and I am so stating in my report.
1: You see, Holmes,
3: I told you. Nevertheless, I would still like to see the body, Dr. Miller. Very well, very well. It's in here. You see that I've already got along fairly well with the post-mortem. Now, gentlemen, it won't take long to discover if the idea that Dr. Watson so brilliantly suggested to me is a valid one.
1: Your idea, Dr. Watson? Don't ask me, Dr. Miller. I haven't the faintest idea what Holmes is driving at. The body's lungs are
3: filled with water.
1: Not unnatural in a man who's been drowned. Well, at least it proves that he was
3: alive when he went into the water. I knew it. This was no accident, gentlemen. It was murder. Murder? It can't be. How do you know, Holmes? Lord Horace was supposed to have drowned in the sea before the very eyes of Dr. Watson and myself. There's no mark on his body and his lungs are full of water. But that water, gentlemen, is not salt water as it should be. It is fresh water.
0: Just a moment, we'll return to Sherlock Holmes as he endeavors to solve the mystery of the strange death of Lord Hollis. Men, it's never too late to help improve the appearance of your hair. And when you buy a hair tonic, why not buy one that does lots more than just keep hair looking handsome? Why not get your money's worth and buy Cremel hair tonic? No other hair tonic keeps the hair more neatly groomed and attractive looking. Cremel gives hair that handsome, clean-cut appearance, as if your barber had just combed it. In addition, Kreml is simply great to lubricate a dry scalp. At the same time, it removes itchy, loose dandruff and leaves the scalp feeling so clean, refreshed, and alive. No wonder Kreml is preferred among America's most prosperous men. Buy a bottle of Kreml at any drug counter. Ask for an application at your barbershop. Use this highly specialized hair tonic daily for better groomed hair, a more hygienic scalp. K-R-E-M-L, Kreml Hair Tonic. Now, Dr. Watson, what happened after Sherlock Holmes' startling discovery that the late Lord Hollis had been drowned in fresh water?
1: We returned to our hotel with all thoughts of going back to London in the beds. Holmes paced up and down deep in thought. His pipe was clenched in his jaws, and the room was blue with the fumes of tobacco.
3: Fiendishly clever plot, Watson and one which came within the tiniest margin of succeeding. Well, I
1: can't argue with the evidence, Holmes, but I still fail to see how a little slip of a girl such as Lady Hollis could forcibly overpower and drown a strong, active man, unless you're suggesting that her husband was so drunk as to be in a stupor when he was killed? Not at all.
3: There is one set of circumstances under which even a small person would have no difficulty in drowning a much larger one. Come here, Watson, Hmm? and I'll give you a demonstration. Now, if you'll seat yourself in the bath and imagine for a moment that you are Lord Hollis. <laughs>
1: well, it feels rather silly, though.
3: Excellent. Now, lean back in the tub, relaxing, enjoying your imaginary bath. Uh, all right,
1: now, that one.
3: In the part of Lady Diana, I enter, walk over to you with some casual remark, and suddenly do this. Oh. You see? Pulling a person's feet suddenly upward while he's in the tub, and there's your result.
1: All right, all right, all right. That's it all. Will you let go of my feet? If that
3: tub had been full of water, my dear fellow, your head would now be submerged despite your most violent struggles. And in that position, as you can see, it is utterly impossible to get a grip on the sides of the tub. Uh, uh, It's
1: most convincing. I shall keep my bathroom door locked in the future when I'm having a bath. The difficulty, Watson, rests
3: not in convincing you, but a jury. Our evidence is slender in the extreme. A clever defence lawyer would have no difficulty in tearing so tenuous a thread apart... if I know anything about
1: juries. You mean to tell me, Holmes, that the perpetrator of so fiendish and cold-blooded a crime... is to be allowed to go free? Let me call your attention, Watson, to the fact that both
3: Lady Diana and Miss Cartwright... beneath their frail and helpless exteriors... must be women of the utmost resolution and determination. Perhaps the two of them had planned out the whole grisly business far in advance. At any rate, after Lady Diana drowned him... They must have taken the dead man from the tub, dressed him, and together, one at his feet and one at his head, carried him down to their boat. That, of course, accounts for the deep indentations of their footprints.
1: But Lord Horace's prints... Very simple.
3: Once the body was in the boat with Miss Cartwright guarding it, Lady Diana walked down the shore below high tide mark and up to the house by another route. I
1: see. And then she... She put on a pair of Lord Horace's shoes, walked down to the boat... Thus creating the prince that was supposed to be his. Quite so.
3: Then they sailed out, waited until some boat was near enough for their signals of distress to be visible, slid the body overboard, and began to act out their little drama. That all hangs together. As an explanation, yes. As evidence, no. And as I told you at the beginning, Watson, those two women are not the type whom a simple accusation will break down. You can wager that the loyal Miss Cartwright will guard her mistress's secret with her life. And as for Lady Diana... A woman capable of killing her husband in so diabolically clever a manner will not break under accusation. She'd be more likely to sue for slander. What on earth uh, are you going to do, Holmes? You've sometimes told me that I have queer friends in London, Watson. Mm-hmm. I have a plan which depends upon one of them. I shall go out to London tonight. Meanwhile, I want you to make discreet inquiries from Lord Hollis's bankers and his lawyer and see what evidence you can obtain as to his financial affairs. I feel that we may find a large part of the motive there. Right you are, Holmes. When will you return? If all goes well, I'll be back tomorrow night. I want you to call on Lady Diana and engage her in Miss Cartwright in conversation at precisely nine o'clock tomorrow evening. Don't fail me, Watson. It is vital that you carry through your part. <laughs>
4: Your kindness in visiting me, Dr. Watson. I'd been under the impression that you and Mr. Holmes left yesterday for London. Oh, well,
1: well uh, no, we decided to, to remain in Brighton for a few more days, Lady Diana.
4: Uh, some tea, Dr. Watson. Uh, no, thank
1: you, Miss Carter.
4: And uh, where is Mr. Holmes? I hope to have the opportunity of thanking him in person. For all you both did.
1: Holmes? Oh, oh Mr. Oh, I don't quite know where he is at the moment. He's a difficult fellow to keep track of, you know.
4: Uh, uh, Wasn't it the front door bell, Carter? Yes. I'll go. The servants have retired. Can I offer you some other refreshment, Dr. Watson? <laughs> oh,
1: Perhaps
4: you'd like you some mean? brandy.
1: Uh, no, no, evening, thank you. I never right? touch it. Good evening, Lady Diana.
3: Ah, Watson.
4: Good evening, Mr. Holmes. I was just telling Dr. Watson that I hoped you'd give me the opportunity of... I'm
3: afraid you're under a misapprehension, Lady Diana. I'm not calling upon you in a social capacity.
4: I'm afraid I don't understand. Really, Mr. Holmes, your behavior is rather odd, to say the least.
3: I found your notes at the hotel, Watson, where you'd left them for me. They complete the picture very thoroughly.
4: Unless you can give some other explanation of your conduct, Mr. Holmes, I must ask you to leave at once.
3: I am about to offer you an explanation, Lady Diana, although it is one uh, you will not like. I am accusing you, with Miss Cartwright as accessory, of the murder of your late husband.
4: Mr. Holmes, how dare you! I can only suppose that your trade of chastening criminals has turned your brain. I could sue you for slander, but I won't. I won't dignify your insane accusation by doing
3: so. You see, Watson, just as I expected. Lady Diana, Dr. Watson's investigations have revealed some interesting facts. Your late husband was an extremely wealthy man, and you are his sole legatee. You yourself were penniless when you married Lord Hollis, a man 25 years older than you. Yesterday morning, he had a bath while drunk, and you entered his bathroom and drowned him. You and Miss Cartwright put the body on the boat, duplicated your husband's footprints, and staged the accident which Watson and I witnessed.
4: Change my mind, Miss Holmes. I shall sue you for slander for every penny that I can obtain. Well said, my dear. This man should be made to pay for his vile Well, you
1: better sue me at the same time, Lady Diana. I associate myself with everything that Holmes has said. Thank you, Watson.
3: But before you start suit, Lady Diana, I want you to show me the late Lord Hollis's
4: bathroom. Don't do it, Lady Diana. I'll awaken the servants and have these men thrown out. I shall do it, Carty. Only to prove to this fool how baseless his suspicions are. Come with me. This way up the stairs... No, my dear. Let me go ahead with the lamp. There is the door of my late husband's bath. Open it. Look for yourself. Although what you expect to find... A... Oh, oh, it's Edward! Harry, stop it!
2: Careful, careful. There goes the lamp.
4: Oh, you will come back, honey. You said we'd be
2: safe. Shut up! no, won't, no, i I won't told me nothing
6: could happen. You said he was foolproof. Now he's come back. He's come back. I always said he was.
2: Watson, <laughs> that's General Ferdinand. He and the inspector are waiting outside.
3: The street will look extremely inviting, Watson, after the explosion and alarms of the last
2: night. No, it hours. certainly
1: will, but with all the excitement after that woman dropped the lamp and the police inspector taking down Lady Diana's confession, I I still haven't found out how you managed the whole thing.
3: The return of the late Lord Hollis, you mean? <laughs> it was really quite simple. One of my many friends in London is one of the artists who makes all those clever waxwork figures for Madame Tussaud's museum. He made me a most lifelike and convincing replica of the late Lord Hollis, working from a photograph furnished by the local portrait studio.
1: Great, Scott. And while I held those two women in conversation in the drawing room, you entered the house and smuggled the figure into the bathroom.
3: Precisely, my dear fellow. As I told you only a very sudden and intense shock would ever have scared a confession out of that extremely self-possessed murderous Lady Diana and her evil genius, Miss Cartwright.
1: Shock? Huh. I don't mind telling you, Holmes, that if I'd been carrying that lamp, I'd have dropped it myself when I saw that figure. Huh. Took ten years off my life.
2: <laughs>
0: To have as our distinguished guest this evening one of the foremost beauty authorities in this country, Mr. John Robert Powers. Mr. Powers is often called a king of glamour because he has glorified so many of America's most beautiful women, his famous Powers girls. And now, especially transcribe Mr. John Robert Powers. Good evening, friends. I don't know if I can live up to
6: a king of glamour, but I certainly have a queen of glamour here this evening. One of my most beautiful Powers girls, Miss Jackie Halsey. Have you something you'd like to say to the audience, Jackie?
4: Yes, Mr. Powers, I have. I'd like to give you a big vote of thanks for telling me to always use Cremel Shampoo. No other shampoo I've ever used leaves my hair more shining bright with such a natural, glossy luster.
6: Yes, Jackie, Cremel Shampoo has been especially developed to glamour bathe each tiny strand of hair. You simply can't beat Cremel Shampoo for its wonderful cleansing... Beautifying action. It never dries the hair. That's because it has a built-in oil base. Cremel shampoo actually helps keep the hair from becoming dry or brittle.
4: And cremel shampoo whips up such a luxuriant, active foam even in the hardest water. It rinses out so easily and leaves the hair a vision of shining beauty. And
6: that's why I urge every woman to try Kremel shampoo. It's so mild, so gentle, so remarkably beautifying as it uncovers and reflects the natural brilliant highlights. That lie concealed in every woman's hair.
0: And it takes only ten minutes. To give your hair this wonderful glamour bath. Thank you so much, Mr. Powers, and your very charming Powers girl, Miss Jackie Halsey. And now, Dr. Watson, what about next week?
1: Well, now let me see. Next week, um next week, I think I'll tell you a story that's always been one of my favorites. I call it the Red Headed League. It began with a strange, fantastic tale told us by a Mr. Jabez Wilson and ended with a dreadful midnight vigil in the subterranean vaults beneath the city and suburban bank. <laughs>
0: Tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure was suggested by an incident in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's story, The Adventure of the Veiled Lodger. Nigel Bruce appeared through the courtesy of Universal International Pictures. Tom Conway, by permission of Eagle Lion Pictures. The Sherlock Holmes series is produced by Tom McKnight, with original music composed and conducted by Alex Steiner. This is Joseph Bell, speaking for Kremel Hair Tonic and Kremel Shampoo and inviting you to be with us next week at this same time when Dr. Watson will tell us about the Red-Headed League. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.